Two of the fastest growing sectors these days are indie brands and e-commerce. Indie brands are bringing much needed newness, quality, and inclusivity to the market. E-commerce is making it possible for them to reach that market. I'm Jane Singer and welcome to A Seat at the Table. Today I'm talking with Martin Jamoa. Martin has had hands-on experience growing indie brands, both online and off. From launching menswear at ASOS and getting UK fashion brand Simon Carter up and running, to co-founding his own brand and then managing the design, buying and technical teams at Australian brand Saba, Martin knows what it takes to get a brand launched and to lead it to success. Today he is a consultant to fast-growing small to medium-sized brands as well as to companies who are just getting started and need the guidance of someone who has real-life market experience. Martin, thank you so much for joining us today. This year in particular, a lot of major brands have either closed down or had to make huge cutbacks. So in a sense, as they've pulled back, it's opened up a window of opportunity for new brands. From your experience, what do you feel that people or companies either don't understand or misunderstand about launching a brand? Um, I think the bigger thing is is how hard it is. It is still really, really hard. I mean, I think one of the most important things is um, with a brand is how you communicate what the brand actually is. I mean, many years ago, I launched um, the Simon Carter clothing brand. Right. And, and it was the, the most critical part of the, the whole launch was really the, the first bit, which was getting into Simon's head and understanding and translating what his thinking was and what his thought processes and actually then trying to translate that into, into brand assets. And if you're doing this, if, if a person's doing it on their, on their own, it's, it's, in some ways it's much easier. But it's not just about the lining. It's not just about the button. It's not just about the, the labels and packaging. It's how you actually communicate it. And it's, it's essentially the story that you tell. Um, and you tell that story through the linings and the buttons and things like that. But Simon's brand, the Simon Carter brand, is really about... Um, authenticity. It's about like a vintage concept. It's got a sort of quirky modern elements to it. So when we launched, when we did the brand launch, we launched it um, in a vintage car showroom in in, uh, in Chelsea in London. And we had all the buyers and we had all the press picked up in their favorite vintage car. And the thing about that is kind of you, you do that as part of the launch, but then all of that becomes part of the whole story that becomes more part of the brand. So you're you're evolving, you're building as you go, and you're kind of, you know, you're building out the brand and you build out consistency in what you're doing. So what you're saying is that rather than trying to start with a complete concept, you start where you are and then you continue to evolve. Absolutely. Yeah. I really do believe that um, that's a, a, it's a great way of working. You don't know everything at the beginning and you evolve and you evolve with your customers as well. You move, you move with your customers. So you take what you know at any one point in time, you review that, you use it as best as you can, and then you kind of move to the next stage. So it's a kind of almost a process of, um, of iteration. And when I was, at, um, when I was working at style Atlas, we found that whole process of, you know, agile methodology and iteration was, it's the only way to work. That really ties in with being more flexible, more agile, and the whole concept of on-demand manufacturing. Yeah. And you've got to, I mean, like anything, you've got to sort of break the process down into small bits and take each bit as it, as it is. And then you eventually realize how far you've actually come. But Again, it's kind of all brands are in evolution. They're all in evolution in terms of where they actually get to. And some parts of it are big evolutions and some are smaller evolutions. Right. So as the market continues to change, you also have to be adaptive. The, mar- the world changes. The markets change. Um, consumers change. I mean, I think we, you know, we, we've seen you know, globally big, big changes that are happening. And I think it, it makes people more aware of what's going on with a brand. I think particularly now with, with COVID happening, um, people are people have the chance to relook at their brands and reevaluate 
Are we doing the right thing? Are we true to our brand? Have we got authenticity? Uh, and so it becomes an opportunity in terms of, you know, that kind of review process and, and then move on from there. But yeah, the world is always changing. We're always changing as consumers. Martin, what are some of the key mistakes that you see people or companies make when they're launching or managing a brand? I think the one big mistake is underestimating your customer. Well, I think especially when, when managing a brand, and I've found this a, a number of times um, in lots of businesses, I think, and particularly now where the customer has the choice to go wherever they want to go. I mean, we're still in the in the realm of global retailing and e-commerce, and they can go wherever they, they want to, and they can buy whatever they want to, and they can shop online and compare different products. So I think when brands or retailers, when they change factories, when they change fabrics, when they change fit, when they're not true or consistent to what they set up and believe in, and often it's to grab a little bit of extra margin or to, to find some other, you know, satisfy some other financial goal, the problem is customers notice, and if a brand is lucky, the customer will come back and complain. And if a brand is not so lucky, the customer will just move on. And I think this is one of the biggest mistakes. I think it's, uh, it's underestimating what the customer can see and does see and how they actually respond to that. Yeah, that's true. Brands oftentimes start to believe that their name or their design signature alone can carry them, and they start to really cut back on quality. Yeah, and I think... Um, I mean, it's the thing, you know, when you start a brand, you put everything you can into it. And I think it's kind of, it's maintaining that the initial design integrity, the enthusiasm, everything that went into that first collection, and then seeing how the customer will respond to that and then moving on from there. And, and it's almost these days, it's almost very much led by, that, by the, the, that customer interaction. Yeah, actually, you know, it's interesting because, you know, now that you brought that up, Every time I'm speaking with people, not, not, not from a professional point of view, but just you know, speaking with friends or family and we'll talk about a brand we liked, usually the number one complaint people have is they'll say, oh, you know, that used to be a really good brand and then I don't know what happened to them. Exactly. You know, the quality is not good anymore. Yeah. And then to some extent, they also say that it lost its, you know, the style vibe. Yeah. And it's, you know, there's an element of, again, we're changing and the world is changing, but there is an element where there, you know, these are deliberate things that brands are doing season on season to kind of move in a direction, but you, you have to move in the, in the, in the same direction as your, as your customer. Therefore you have to keep taking like a, a temperature check in terms of, you know, where the customer is. And again, we have more and more technology now to be able to do that in, in more and more in better ways, you know, all the social media that's out there, we've got more of an opportunity to do that. So there's no reason not to. Yeah, exactly. You can really hear what customers are saying in their own words. Mm, absolutely, yeah. We've talked about some of the mistakes. What do you see as some of the best strategies or some of the smartest things that you know, brands that you've worked with or even brands that you admire have done? Yeah, I mean, I think from, um, strategic, from a managerial point of view, I think the, the best thing I've, I've ever done is really to trust my team. Um, and I think no individual can mm, do everything. True. Um, and when it comes down, so it really comes down to really good communication and really good collaboration and transparency in that as well. So it's really about getting, getting a team on board to really understand what the brand is about. Everybody's kind of like singing off the same hymn sheet as it were. And they all kind of, you know, in their, in their heart and in their soul, they, they really understand what the, what the brand is about. And I think sort of my, from my experience um, working at, um, at Saba, um, which is an Australian sort of you know, more tailored brand, dressy tailored. You know, when we first started looking at the brand and began to relaunch the brand, we went into the archive. We actually hired two designers who had a long history in the brand 
Um, we went to speak to people who had a strong association with the brand, people in the press and people in the media um, and designers. And we really started just to pull together a story of what the brand was all, all about. What are the key things that the brand was all about? And understanding at the time that, you know, Saba always used to be about great denim or it used to be about great knitwear or it used to be about amazing tailoring and, and fantastic fit. So you really start pulling together all those elements. And that's the thing that you start focusing on in the initial part of it. You put that product out there, you take a read, and then you start going from there and the journey begins. If you were starting a brand right now and considering the fast growth of e-commerce, would you be looking to do direct-to-consumer or would you be looking at something that was more of a multi-channel strategy? I think, I mean, the growth has come out of the convenience. It becomes so easy. And I think there's still so much more technology to come to make it even easier. And you, I mean, you look at what, you know, business like Amazon's doing in terms of, the, you know, they focus, it's not even focused on the last mile, they focus on the last few feet um, to get product into, you know, not into, into your house and into your into your wardrobes, into your fridges, whatever. So I, I think technology will always find solutions. I think technology will always, you know, see a problem and, and try and find a solution um, to it. But I think also in the meantime, the brand consistency becomes really important because I think it's very difficult to, when you're talking about fit or fabric or quality, those things are part of what a brand is and what the customer, again, knows you know, knows in their heart that, you know, if I buy into this brand, I know I'm going to get this fit. I know I'm going to get this great value. So I think it's maintaining that and maintaining that strong connection. And as you said, in terms of the, um, you know, the amount of um, e-commerce that's out there, the social media and, and the ways in which you can connect with, um, with with your customer base. It's really important to kind of keep a focus on, on that. But, you know, I think um, retailers, whether they're, you know, pure play or, you know, a combination of both or whether they've got um, online stores, they have to have that consistency in terms of what they deliver as a, uh, as a brand. Right. So, so what you're saying is that you feel that it's less about the channel and more about the product. I think it's more about the product, but the product is also part of the service. It's part of the how do you deliver that service, which is also part of the brand. Yeah, so in terms of it might be about, I mean, Netta Porter did an amazing business just by its packaging that, you know, you would look forward to the box arriving and you'd get so involved in the whole unboxing of the product that you just ordered. So, you know, that's part, that's, you know, that's part of the product. It all becomes part of what um, was actually delivered to you. That's a really interesting point because when it comes to e-commerce, most brands are really looking at it from the point of view that the big benefit is the convenience of ordering online and free delivery, whereas there's other services that you could actually tie in that would build customer engagement. Absolutely, yeah. You can enhance all so many aspects of it. It's just understanding and understanding what, I guess, um, what clicks for the customer, what, you know, what excites them. Um, and in those moments and focusing on those moments, that's where I think um, brands and retailers can, can do better and do better out of e-commerce and technology generally. There's this commonly held belief amongst brands and manufacturers that consumers only care about price and that you cannot get them to pay more for better quality. They might want better quality, but it's really all about making trendy apparel at a price. What's your take on that? Do you think consumers will pay for better quality? I think people do. I think people will pay more um, for a garment that is generally better quality. But I think there's, an, there's another aspect to it, which I think the consumer has to understand why it's better quality for them. So it becomes a personal thing. Um, so it might be the best quality fabric. It might be the, you know, the best quality trimmings or whatever it is. 
But unless it actually means something to the customer, unless it actually adds value, and these days it's about adding value to their life or what they're doing or in, you know, it, in, in, in wherever they are in, the, in their lives, so in, in, in the function it serves. So, and again, therefore, it comes back to that, that connection. Does, does a buyer, does a, um, does a retailer understand what it is that the, the customer actually wants? Um, and again, it, the important thing is really communicating that and getting it across to the, to the customer, whether it's, again, stories that they tell, whether it's in the labeling, but understand that this is, a, this is not just a good quality fabric, but it's a good quality fabric that adds value because of these different aspects. So, yeah, I, w- I would say that um, a factory should always continue to try and, you know, put in front of bars or put in front of retailers the best quality that they, they possibly can because, you know, that kind of continues. Based on some of the consumer surveys we've done at Inside Fashion Consumer Lab, people seem very concerned about fabric quality. They do, yeah. It's. I mean, I was. I was when I first started buying, um, and I remember sort of working in, and it, I was working at Jaeger at the time, so very, very high end. And we kind of did this um, study in terms of how does the customer act when they actually walk into a store. You know, in terms of, and you know, because we were sort of dealing in a lot of high end fabrics. You know, what the customer does, they walk into a store, and the first thing they do when they see a product, they touch it. They want to have that connection with the with the product. And when they kind of feel something that's soft and something that's silky and something that kind of is, you know, comfortable, they then have lots of associations with, okay, well, if this is soft, it's going to be comfortable on me. And then they open up the jacket and then they look at it in different ways. So I think that first, that first interaction with, with product is really important, um, which is why you see so much attention on the hand feels and quality fabrics and cashmere mixes or, you know, anything that makes it sort of that touch and feel, feel a lot better. Do you feel that in general that there's somewhat of a disconnect between the factory, the fabric supplier, and the brand? Often the, the factory or the manufacturer is, is a little bit removed. And I think more and more um, retailers will want to try and bridge that gap a little bit more. Just from the point of view that if you can, one, from, a, from an efficiency point of view, if you can actually get manufacturers to kind of work for you and actually develop more product for you before you ask for it. It saves the whole process and it makes the whole thing much more efficient. Um, and you only do that by giving them more information and more, um, you know, more sort of insight in terms of what the customer actually wants. You know, we're all kind of, I think, you know, we're all human beings. It's not that, you know, a factory or any um, better or worse than actually evaluating what a customer actually wants. Give them the information, they can do it better. So there's an advantage to having the factory more involved, not only because it takes some work off your plate, but because they can add another dimension in terms of creativity. Absolutely, yeah. And I think I'm, I'm, I've certainly seen more and more of that in factories where you know, you've got a factory that will employ a design team to help support the product development as they put product in front of their their um, their customers, their, the, the buyers and the retailers. And it kind of, it also, you know, it sparks um, creativity, it sparks thought in terms of the buyers as well. And and I think that then the interaction just becomes a lot better. So it's a kind of sharing of, of knowledge to create something that's much more creative. That really helps, especially when you're trying to combine creativity with flexibility and speed yeah. to market. Yeah. And I, again, I think, I, you know, my feeling is that you know, collaboration, when, you know, whether it's across or within the buying teams or across the, the, you know, the buyers and the retailers and, um, you know, the manufacturers, I think that collaboration, that transparency can really sort of, you know, support and help that process. Yeah, for sure. So if you're looking at this crazy market, hyper-competitive market, um, 
what do you, from your point of view, what do you see as the big opportunity right now? I'd say, I mean, I agree with you. It's definitely a tough market. I think retailers, brands, and manuf- I think everybody's got really, really tough at the moment. And I think that was before. I think in the past, you know, we talked about a retail apocalypse, um, and we've been talking about it for years as the kind of evolution's gone on. I think there are too many retailers. I think there are too many brands, and I think there's too much stock. And I think what will happen is the market will correct itself at some point. But at the same time, I mean, you asked about opportunities. I still think there are opportunities, and certainly for brands that are authentic um, and brands that can connect with their customers. I think sustainability is really, really important. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, I recently did some work, did some consulting to um, a startup company called Renter. And I think um, clothing rental is a, is a really big future opportunity. And I think, again, it's a connection and the sustainability. And I think what it does, it connects to a younger customer who wants something different. Um, I think when you throw in like a subscription model as well, where brands swap in and swap out product, um, it becomes a little bit more like music or, or movie streaming that, you know, you don't own the products you, and they don't end up as landfill. Um, and I think that becomes the, the, the future. And, you know, so there's much more of a kind of recycling process to, um, to product and, you know, sort of it comes around and goes around. And I think that's a, a really, really big thing. I think also the role of technology is really important. And I think it's going to be interesting to see how brands and fashion retail, I think also how manufacturers um, combine the creativity and the whole process of manufacturing with technology. I think there's massive opportunities there to make the process more efficient, to make it cheaper, to make it faster. So I, I think there's, there's, there's a lot there to, um, to, uh, to go for in terms of opportunities. Yeah, it's true. We're certainly seeing huge developments in technology for the apparel industry, from manufacturing through to retail. I think it's one of them. I think um, I think there's going to be a, there's going to be a number of them. I think recycling, and I think the recycling has the opportunity to involve a lot of manufacturers in terms of I guess the the core products that they they actually use, how they produce them, and then how that whole kind of you know it it it, it is a cycle. It is a, it is a circle in terms of how products go. It doesn't have to end in in landfill. So I think there is a responsibility both ways and. Yeah, I don't have the answer, and I think there are so many things that are currently happening. But I, you know, there, there's certainly a role for the manufacturer in terms of how the, you know, how recycling will work. Um, you know, the level of transparency that, you know, I think will kind of give the, you know, the consumer a sense that it's, it's still a sustainable business because climate change is still it's it's such um, a factor in the mind of the consumer, especially the young consumer, millennials buying product at the moment. Yeah, that's very true. Um, looking ahead, do you think that right now, or do you think it's a, a better time or maybe a more challenging time right now for someone to be starting a brand? And I'm talking about more mid-sized companies. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, I mean, I think what's happened is the barriers for starting a brand have come down. I mean, just from the point of view, if you wanted to start a brand, you know, 20, 30 years you know, you'd go to a factory and they would, you know, you'd be turned away. Your minimums aren't, aren't what they should be um, and we can't work with you. Or you try and get um, the distribution and, you know, you have to jump through all sorts of hurdles. So the barriers have certainly come down in terms of the ability to sort of manufacture the product, the ability to actually then distribute the product. So I think in some ways it is easier. I think it's in some ways easier to focus, to almost start with the, 
start with the consumer, start with the, the customer. And, and I think that's why you see a lot of brands that do start off on the back of a celebrity or on the back of someone who already has that captive audience there. Because if you start with that point, all you have to do is kind of like feed into, into, that, into that customer. I think it's, in some ways, I think it's tougher for the mid and large size brands to actually kind of maintain that connection back to their um, consumer. Um, because you know, in some ways they are, you know, they built up these like big infrastructures and, and they're a little bit far away from them. So they have to start putting in process lots of different structures to actually, you know, keep connecting to their, to their consumers. But yeah, I think it's, I think, you know, if you're a small brand or if you're starting a brand or if you're, you know, you're looking at medium sized brand, I think there's more opportunity and there's more, I think, diversity of what, consumers actually want and i think that presents more opportunity as well so yeah i think it's, not, it's i think it's a good time um but you know in some ways yeah it's um n- now is always a good time to to start something you just got to start it right so there really is no ideal time to get started you just got to get started keep your eye on the ball be fast be flexible stay on top of costs and continue to keep close to your customer and um try to deliver the product that they want when they want it. Absolutely, yeah. You can't, I mean, the, the, you've got to dip your toe in the water to get going. And all of a sudden, hopefully, you find that, you know, you're, you're swimming before long. So, yeah, you've got, to, you've got to start somewhere. But I think it's, I think it's the important thing is, is actually a strong focus on what you want to do and why you're doing it. And we, we, we said before in terms of, you know, you, you start a brand, you put all the energy and everything into it initially. And what you don't want to do is, is then sort of um, is water that down. But I think so. the strong focus is really, really important. And then that connectivity with, with a customer to actually understand, you know, how they're responding to what you're actually putting out there and, and you know, and what their view is. And then, you know, and then you start making adjustments to that. And I think that closeness to the customer is, is, is a really important part of it. People want to feel, they want to get back to that closeness, whether it be to the brand or the retailer. They want to feel heard in a sense. Yeah. And I think even now, I mean, I think because of the the COVID-19 situation that we've got, we have all become a little bit more localized. We are because we can't travel. So we do. I think we do kind of like, you know, have more of a focus on what's going around in our sort of local area, what's going on in our community. And I think, yeah, there is an aspect of that is, you know, you're building out your community. So you, you want those, you know, little connections to to the brand that sort of, you know, resonate in that sort of community aspect. Yeah, definitely. As I said, I think as businesses are now coming out of um, this lockdown process, they're having to really, really think about, you know, what, what, what do we, th- what are we here for? What do we do? I mean, I, I speak to a lot of business at the moment in terms of they're reviewing their technology because, you know, they've had a chance to like pause and think about it and think about, well, if we're going to be here in, you know, in three, four, five, ten years time, you know, what, what do we want it to look like? So they've almost got a chance to kind of redo it over again. Consumers started to get used to using e-commerce during the pandemic. And a lot of brands are wondering whether physical retail is really still relevant. Yeah, I think there are too many. Um, I think there's still a relevance. I mean, I think one of the things that we find is, yeah, it's, it's great to order online because of the convenience of it. But there's always been a social aspect to going shopping. You, you, you know, you want you know, that kind of like interaction, you want to be served, you want to kind of someone to make suggestions to you in the store in terms of, you know, this goes with that. And you kind of like come back with a bit of a surprise. The social aspect of it is, you know, you you go shopping, you have coffee, you have lunch, you meet friends, you do, you know, there's there's that aspect that I think we still all need. Um, So, 
yeah so I, I think there's a there is room for both but i do think yeah there's too, there are too many stores and um there's yeah there's too much stock out there and we're and, we're, and, and a lot of it is the same sort of thing as, as well so um i think there will be a bit of a a sort of a paring down but i think those brands that are strong and, and have a strong belief in what they're doing and have a good or build a good structure now um, for the future will survive and will thrive yeah i agree i think there's opportunities for both e-commerce and physical retail although each might look a bit different than the way it looks today absolutely yeah thanks so much for joining us today martin and for sharing your insights on where you see opportunities for brands what are some of the biggest challenges you're facing today? Let us know in the comments or send us an email. If you enjoyed this episode of A Seat at the Table, please subscribe to our podcast, where you'll get to hear from some of the industry's leaders and innovators. And if you're looking for an easier way to keep up to date on sourcing shifts, new technology, supply chain strategies, emerging markets, and of course, e-commerce, head on over to our website, InsideFashionLive.net and consider subscribing to our weekly newsletters. You'll also find all of our contact information there. Please feel free to contact us with any ideas, suggestions, or questions. That's InsideFashionLive.net.